Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Caught up earlier today with Max Porterfield. He's the CEO of Calinex Mines. They've got three assets in Canada. If you want to hear our thoughts and opinions on those uh, projects and indeed the conversation itself, and of course the company, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports. Uh, there's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are training videos. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you a bit of time. And of course, there's our community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe environment. So do go along and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Max, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you doing? Not bad, not bad. It's early there, so I appreciate you getting up and uh, joining us for this call. Um, you're, you're in Vancouver at the moment. How are things? It's beautiful here. I'm uh, really enjoying things despite everything going on in the world. Uh, I think it's a really exciting time in life in general. Fantastic. Okay, good. Well, look, we're going to hear your story. We've not met before, spoken before, so I'm, I'm keen to hear your story. But can you kick off and give us a one-minute overview of the business, uh, and then I'll pick it up from there, Okay. Yeah, sure. We're an exploration company that's focused on making uh, discoveries based in precious metals rich VMS discoveries within known Canadian mining jurisdictions. So our portfolio spans these different jurisdictions. We have proximate infrastructure uh, and the people in place and, and obviously immediate need for new discoveries. And that's what we're here to do uh, across the portfolio. Beautiful. Okay. Well, great. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you? What's your, what's your background track record? In terms of my background, I'm, an, I'm American. My background I was born and raised, uh, in, in Texas, uh, and then uh, started my career working at U.S. Global Investors under the mentorship of Frank Holmes, uh, who uh, taught me quite a bit. So that was a, a great stepping stone, so to speak, really learning in terms of how to attract institutional capital and what an institutional investors looks for when they're making an investment into the natural resource sector. Uh, so I really had a, a number of different roles there. Uh, and then I immigrated to Canada. In 2012, actually recently became a Canadian citizen in 2019, which I'm quite proud of. Uh, it's a really wonderful country, and uh, obviously I'm very, very glad to be here. Uh, and and joined uh, two two different companies and in doing investor relations capacity, Uranium Energy Corp, uh, and then what's now Gold Mining Inc. Uh, and then after a few years of that, I left and, and joined Kalinex. Uh, had an opportunity to meet Mike Mozlowski, our former chairman, and current team member as well for the company. Uh, and he gave me a tremendous opportunity and, and uh, been helm, at the helm of Kalinex now for over six and a half years. Okay, fantastic. Okay, well, why don't we, why don't we kick off with, you know, the, the plan? You know, there's always a plan to these things. You've got, you've got three areas that you're working in three, and multiple projects. And it's a relatively, you know, small company at the moment. Okay, you're looking at sort of, what, 35 odd million Canadian. So you, you're going to have to be quite targeted about how you approach this. So do you want to kind of maybe give us a bit of background on as to you know how you kind of have structured this? Absolutely. So in terms of the portfolio, when I came onto the company, it was actually a graphite company, uh, but then really realized the underlying value in the company was in the the base and precious metals rich or prospective portfolio in Flintflon. I looked at Flintflon as a jurisdiction had a very rich history, spans now almost 100 years of continuous production. But if you have looked out further in the horizon, and I think that's a big uh, thing that I'm focused on, is always looking out further into the future and the implications of that. And you saw that the 777 mine, the, the mine that was the flagship mine that was operating, 
had really a finite life and it was due to shut down very soon. And that's now very imminent in the Q2 2022. And that's when we started exploring that, that area and the focus uh, and back into the roots of the company's history and facing precious metals exploration. Because the company is actually a spin out of a company called Kalanand Mines, which has a rich history and was actually receiving the 777 royalty up until the spin out in 2011 when Kalanand was formed. And then later, as we were continuing to explore uh, Manitoba, realized an opportunity to replicate the same model and doing, again, exploration and proximity to infrastructure. Uh, and then that's when we acquired the portfolio in Eastern Canada, the, the Nash Creek, Super Jack, and now Headway projects in the Bathurst District in New Brunswick, as well as the Point Leamington projects in, in the Buckins Camp of Newfoundland. Uh, and we've, you know, since that time spread our wings, we've had a number of uh, successes in the portfolio. We were able to double the resource size in, in New Brunswick very quickly at Nash Creek, and we put out a maiden PA on the property in early 2018. Um, and then subsequent to that, you know, the, the wind kind of got taken out of our sales temporarily with the, uh, the you know, shorter-term collapse in zinc prices due to the trade war. But that never really stopped the longer-term focus of the company, what our objectives were, and we continue to advance these assets uh, through exploration, very, you know, low cost with, you know, big upside as, you know, we're testing on a regional scale. Uh, you know, targets across the portfolio. Right. So, so talk to me about this because I'm always fascinated by junior companies in the early days. Okay. There's lots of restrictions. You can't just walk in this thing and think everything's going to work out of the gate. Right. So, Flinflon with the with the uh, Pine Bay project is is would you consider that your primary asset that you're going to spend your time, money, and attention on? Well, we've been advancing these assets, again, since we acquired all three of the assets in 2016 in some form or fashion. So in terms of capital costs moving forward in Manitoba, the bulk of the capital will go to Manitoba and the, the Rainbow Discovery. And that's really more so a function of cost of exploration in Manitoba relative to New Brunswick in a lot of ways. Obviously, you have exceptional high-grade copper that we've discovered at the Rainbow Discovery within a mineral lease adjacent to high-voltage power line, historic head frame, and 20 minute drive to Flint Flung with all those infrastructure in place. With that being said, the expiration costs in Manitoba are significantly higher than the expiration costs that you have in New Brunswick. And that's really what I say in terms of where's your focus? Our focus is in developing these assets in tandem. And everyone, you know, a lot of people ask in terms of where is your, your, your budgeting? Well, the budget is really driven by costs. When you're doing deeper expiration with diamond drilling in Manitoba, your costs can be much higher than the near surface drilling that you have in New Brunswick. Um, so it's really a function of cost, but absolutely the focus of the, the expression going forward uh, is going to be Manitoba and the rainbow discovery. Uh, but that's not to say that there's going to be no focus on the rest of the portfolio. No, I, I understand. And that's therein lies the balance of managing budgets and managing markets and managing you know, your, your, um, your, your company and your people. So, so I get that. But again, it might be worth actually just talking briefly about the corporate structure because I noticed that you've got a very tight share structure there at the moment. Um, I mean, how, how have you set it up? Um, and tell us about, you know, maybe who's in it because the management have a, a significant share in this company as of today. But going forward, you are going to have to bring, you know, more money in. And, you know, what is that going to look like for you? How do you imagine that working? Yeah. So, I, again, since I've taken over the company, Calyx, we have brought on a number of significant shareholders and we still have a significant shareholder base today. And one of the things that we did when we were having a kind of a rewrite on the exploration portfolio, when really everyone looked at the company based on our Nash Creek assets in New Brunswick, because it was a, a zinc rich asset. It was, a, we just announced a PEA 
and then the, the wind kind of got taken out of our sails again on, on the, the, the pullback. And one of the things looking forward was I do see, feel that we're in a secular bull market for the, the base and precious metals market and, and being prepared for that and some of the household and keeping items, so to speak, was on the restructuring of the company and the rollback. So we did do a rollback uh, last year at 50 cents a share. I think it was very, very timely in terms of where we are today. And, and really uh, in terms of the breakdown, and I was a big acquirer of the stock um, last year, I've been a big acquirer of the stock this year again, and more recently exercised some, some options, uh, I think they got announced this morning, uh, to continue to build my position. So I am a very significant large shareholder, I'm about 5% of the, uh, the float. My family is a big uh, supporter of my career in the company and big believers in what we're doing as well, uh, in terms of collectively over 10%. Resource Capital Funds owns 8%, been a very, very long-term supporter shareholder base. Uh, the Savellis out of Europe in the family office, uh, they own roughly 8 or 9%. Maslowski, our former chairman, owns uh, 5% as well. Uh, so, again, tightly held in terms of the 11 million shares out, you know, we can place, you know, on, on 10 fingers about half that float. And I think that's very, very critical moving forward is to managing that and bringing shareholders like RCF uh, that believe in the longer-term vision of the company across its portfolio and really making those discoveries and making those discoveries at an exceptionally low cost relative to our peers, given the fact that we are exploring in close proximity to these camps. And, and that is really a way to compress our exploration costs as well and make our exploration dollars go much further. Okay, but you, you've, it's been a sort of tough market. It's been kind of soft market in, in, a, in a way with regards to, you know, zinc, which is, you know, what you were, you were after initially, you know, and price kind of fell away there. And I think a lot of, you know, Zinc Explorers have you know struggled a little bit there, and but you've been you've kind of got a kind of polymetallic uh, component across um, these assets. So I guess you've been able to tell slightly different stories depending on how the markets change. Because you know, I noticed with you know, see with Pine Bay, it was initially a sort of silver story, but it's become more of a copper story. So you know, polymetallic works in your favor in those in these scenarios. Yeah, you know, I, I think we've been very, very blessed as a company, very, very fortunate. You know, if you look at Nash Creek, for example, Nash Creek, we enter Nash Creek. Nash Creek wasn't very readily understood. It's a lower grade zinc deposit. Uh, if you look at globally, 85% of zinc production is open pitable. I mean, sorry, underground, not open pitable. So it's not often that you come across a zinc deposit that's flat lying near surface. And we were able to double it very quickly. And it's really, you know, I'd say the challenge there was is telling that story in terms of the zinc market. When we, you know, in fact, the results of our regional exploration has shifted the focus to the silver. Uh, you know, discovering silver along, you know, 6.8 kilometers apart along a main controlling fault is quite unique. The only thing analogous that we can kind of draw a similar conclusion to is the Dolly Varden discovery uh, in, in British Columbia. And so it's very, very unique in terms of what we're on to in New Brunswick. If you look at Pine Bay, Pine Bay, we had a lot of attention. At one point, our company was worth over $50 million of market cap on one discovery hole in, 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 at Pine Bay. In Pine Bay, we always had a target to make an elephant of a discovery that there's a big footprint there in terms of a very large alteration package. One of the largest known felsic rock package, which is a host rock to over 90% of the ore ever mined in Flin Flon. And we had hit a, a, a zinc discovery. It was a zinc rich discovery um, and it got the market's attention, but we weren't able to replicate it. But we learned from those setbacks. And that's really the thing in, in terms of not stopping when you hit a hurdle and that's what led us to change the exploration model at Pine Bay and take a new approach, a new look. And that's when we hit on, obviously, the exceptional copper grades that are also gold, silver, and, and zinc bearing. 
Right, and that's going to get people excited. People are excited. You know, copper prices, you know, made a good recovery this year. Uh, gold and silver has done well up until you know the last month or so. So I bet that's gone down well in terms of being able to talk to the market. And I think we've seen your share price since end of July, August. You know, all, you know more than double in, in in price. I think people are are listening to that, but. How do you, how do you move that story forward? Because it's about you know that's it's about the amount of metal contained in the ground. Yeah, that's the, that's where you're going to need to um, start proving that up. So how does how do you envisage doing that? Well, it's going to be through the drill bit uh, as usual. I think right now in Pine Bay, in a lot of ways, we hit one discovery and it was it was a really nice hole. And again, it was a proof of concept that the discovery hole that we hit in 2016 there. And that discovery hole is actually what you would say kept the engine going in terms of not turning our back on the opportunity at Pine Bay. And so now, you know, we've got to rebuild investor confidence on the discovery in Pine Bay. And I think the rainbow discovery as whereas today, having three different holes into the discovery at this point that are, you know, widely spaced, having a big significant step out from that discovery is really makes it a bonafide discovery. And the next steps there are going to the new year is going to be about, you know, obviously drilling out the mineralization at the Rainbow Discovery, as well as go on a regional uh, look on expanding the regional uh, footprint uh, through exploration and using IEP, which has been a tremendous aid in terms of vectoring to make that discovery at Rainbow. In terms of in New Brunswick, we're following up with a soil sampling campaign to target. It's a very low cost exploration approach for us. I think the entire campaign uh, for soil sampling roughly ran around $60,000. Uh, but that gives us a very, very good vectoring to to follow up on the, the near surface silver that we discovered last year. Uh, and then, you know, obviously announcing those and following up through drilling uh, next year to build that and show size, scale, and obviously tons, because tons of them is what matters most in this business uh, and, and building upon those discoveries. So I, I look at 2019 as the year that we really rewrote the exploration playbook across the portfolio. 2020 is executing on making the initial discoveries. And then I foresee 2021 and beyond is really drilling out those discoveries in, um, in advancing the, the discoveries that we made this year. Uh, and now in Newfoundland, it's a little bit different situation in Newfoundland uh, because it's a much more advanced stage asset in Point Leamington. Uh, and that's going to be a different discovery that we've made this year. And that was really a discovery and a deficiency in a historic resource in a lot of ways. You know, if you look at Point Leamington, uh, the resource itself historically was modeled with a 4% cutoff grade zinc equivalent which is a cutoff grade you'll use for an underground resource. But when you actually look at the resource itself, it's near surface and look at it naturally thinking it'd be amenable to an open pit operation. And really re-reviewing that in 2019 as we were rewriting things led to that, you know, really deficiencies in the resource, which we're looking to update this year. And it'd be a pit constrained resource at Point Leamington that also sits within a mineral lease. So it's not often that you have an indicated resource that is within a pit and it can be pit constrained within a, a jurisdiction, it's already, you know, advanced permitting. And then you can really quickly um, accelerate and get that revaluation on those assets and bring partners in. So that's how we're advancing each asset across the portfolio in, you know, 2020 was making these initial discoveries. And I foresee 2021 being really the year that we're going to drill those out and the world can see, you know, how, how really impressive I believe they're going to become and what they grow to, to be. Okay, so to advance these discoveries, you're going to need capital. You've got a Manitoba um, Mineral Development Fund of just uh, agreed uh, three hundred thousand Canadian, three hundred thousand dollars Canadian. 
you've obviously got some cash in the kitty as well. Is that going to be enough to allow you to advance those um, discoveries next year? I mean, obviously, we're going to have to do an equity raise. An equity raise will come at some point. And, you know, at, at the same time, uh, you know, when we do that, it's going to be, uh, you know, depending on when we think it's most suitable for us. But uh, obviously, all companies need to raise capital. And we're looking to raise capital with the right investor more so than the first investor that walks up and says hello. I mean, there's you know, obviously a significant amount of interest in the company. Uh, and we will re- re- recapitalize the company. And do do order, of course. Okay, and and so that sounds like strategic investor, which may, may or not be partner, JV, farm in, farm out. All of the above is on the table, is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now it'd be more looking at equity financing on a corporate level, uh, whether it be a strategic or not. Is that I'm indifferent to that at this very very moment. I think what the next step for the company is is that for very little low ca- uh, very low capital costs. We can advance these assets tremendously and then bring on partners when our shareholder base can get more better realized value for the assets that are inherently in the portfolio. You're looking at a portfolio today that you know is worth $35 million and arguably, I believe it's worth significantly more than that as it sits um, based upon you know a number of different factors uh, that are inherently intrinsic in, in the portfolio today. So uh, obviously we are going to do a capital raise, whether that's a strategic or not really dependent on that, you know, as far as I can see, it's really focused on bringing investors that believe in the longer term vision of the organization, uh, because it, it, that's what keeps your structure tight. And that's what keeps, you know, a motivated shareholder base that understands, you know, the absent flow of exploration like RCF. I mean, they've been tremendous shareholders in a, more ways than one. And, um, you know, as we bring on new shareholders, we want shareholders that believe in the longer term vision like they have. And, I, you know, in terms of RCF, in terms of, you know, this Savelli's, for example, as well, in terms of the family office, those are investors that have a long-standing history in natural resource exploration, and they understand the ups and downs of it, and they understand you, we're in a long game here, and, and uh, you know I think we're on the cusp of some very big things, and you just want to bring on investors and shareholders that really are aligned with that. Okay, I mean Savelli's, we, we know that we know them from London and their investments. They are long-term holders. Does that restrict your ability to bring in other family offices, or are you going to have to look? Some institutions. I mean, in fact, do RCF cause any problems further down the line for you? No, absolutely not. I mean, RCF's been really, I, I can't say better things about these guys. I mean, they've been very, very tremendous in terms of the support. You know, from a company, you got to keep in mind, they've made an investment. We had a point fifty, sixty million dollar valuation on that hole in, in Manitoba at the time. Uh, we, we went all the way down to a three and a half million dollar valuation, which I think we can all agree that that was not a proper market pricing when the stock was priced at that earlier this year. Uh, it, and, you know, but they were really unwavering the support and the same thing with the Savellis. I mean, uh, you really got to appreciate those type of people that understand the business that you're in and can support the ups and downs of that business. And ultimately I think they're going to be, you know, handsomely rewarded for that. Fantastic. And so and Justin, so, so how much more work do you think you need to do in each of the three assets before you do make that uh, consideration as to which project you maybe decide to farm out or JV on. But basically, which one's your favorite child, I guess, is where I'm going with that. Well, I mean, listen, in terms of, I, I don't have any children, but one thing my mother always told me when I was a kid growing up is that she said, Max, I, I don't have favorites. But when you talk about my favorite, it's always going to be Manitoba. It's always going to be a Pine Bay. Um, and I've always got a heart for, for Manitoba and Flint Pond. It's, it's very unique. Affinity I have for that community, uh, but I, I, I tell you I, I love Flint Pond, Manitoba, and um, 
you know, these people need a discovery. And when I came on to Calinex, I instantly realized the opportunity at Pine Bay. And I focused on building a team specifically engineered to make that discovery. Now, oftentimes people don't realize, you can say, oh, Max, you lost focus or sight because you went to New Brunswick. But that's not true at all, 100%. We, we learned so much, we gained so much as a company in a lot of ways in terms of the assets. I mean, you look at the value of those assets and they're, they're tremendous upside from where they are today, particularly where zinc market is now with the silver upside. But what we learned in New Brunswick and we took to Manitoba was utilizing IP as a vectoring tool in VMS exploration. And that's not something that's traditionally done. We had a, a tremendous amount of success and that's how we doubled the resource at Nash Creek uh, very, very quickly from 9 million tons to 19 million tons is by using an historic IP survey that had previously been done by a, an operator. And oddly enough, that was actually, I think, stimulated by the, the government of New Brunswick at the time, wanting to, they gave a grant to stimulate new exploration ideas with the Brunswick number 12 mine shutting down. And really when I, I you know, we were thinking about Pine Bay, it was, you know, on my mind, Manitoba's always on my mind, when even when it was perceived that maybe we left that momentarily. And what we learned in New Brunswick is we utilized and we brought IP. And that is what really was the meal ticket in a lot of ways is the physical rock property testing on the rock and the core because that initial discovery hole that we hit in 2016, we realized it was different. It was a very lowly conductive pyrite hosted. And we needed to bring a different vectoring approach and a different mindset. And the discovery in Manitoba is gonna be a discovery really of taking a, a, a different tool set, a different mindset. It's an old camp that's got the pedigree and opportunity and every reason for more discoveries to be made in making that discovery. And if it wasn't for taking IP there, we wouldn't have been there. And if I hadn't gone to Manitoba, New Brunswick and myself learned about that technology and how it can be utilized, then we wouldn't have been able to lead to the success that we had uh, in Manitoba so far. Uh, so you learn as you go along, you know, from the good, the bad, uh, from all walks, you know, in this business. And I think that you've got to think differently. And that's really what 2019, 2020 is about is it's thinking differently across the portfolio. That's going to be really yielding the results that we've had. So how, how important is Pine Bay to the people of, uh, of Manitoba? Because there's been a few shut, you know, a few, few mines closed down there. Yeah, you know, uh, honestly, in terms of my my opinion, uh, and I have to say this forward-looking statements, uh, I believe that the people don't realize how important Pine Bay is to the future of Manitoba just yet. Uh, and I think that that's a situation that when you're early into a discovery, that um, you gotta know, the people that are around it obviously know and understand what they're on to much sooner. And our, I think our actions speak louder than the words that we may say. But ultimately, our conviction in Manitoba, our conviction at Pine Bay is to find a large discovery. It's something that will have long-term job creation for that community for years to come. Uh, I might not be from Flint Flon, Manitoba, but uh, I would think that I'm an honorary citizen of Flint Flon, Manitoba in a lot of ways. But if you look at, you know, Jim Pakel, his vacation home is in Flint Flon. You know, JJ O'Donnell, I've, you know, our exploration manager of the team. I've got a picture at six years old that he's playing outside the Pine Bay head frame with his dog named Copper. So, you know, you've got that kind of history with the team and the people, you know, a lot of people go, Max, how did you got a guy that didn't have a background in mining? How did you get them to join you to, to make these discoveries in, on your team? 
because uh, they're obviously largely in retirement. But the reality is, is I captured their exploration heart, right? Everybody's got a passion in life or something that drives them. And like we, we had in earlier in our call, and my big thing is on job creation. Uh, but really, our technical team is is driven by a passion for discovery in the communities that they they lived in. And when you realize that people later on in your life, you do things for different reasons, and it's not necessarily monetarily in a lot of ways, but it's what you can do to help others. And when you align that to what drives you, I think that's what's the recipe for success is across the team we've got. Well, tell me about that. You're you're you know ex-US global. You're a finance guy. It's all about making money, isn't it? No, I, I look differently. If you look at Steve Jobs, what did Steve Jobs want to do? Steve Jobs had a greater vision to create a product to help people. And it just so happens that when you help a lot of people, you're going to make a lot of money. And so you're right. Maybe younger in my life when I was really focused on, hey, Max wants to make this much money, Max wants to make that much money. You make decisions based upon money. You're often driven by people that are always solely invested in you to make money off of you. And that can create a world in your life, whether you want to live in it, because you're really a function of the life that you create for yourself. But is that a life that I really want to live or anybody really wants to live? Not quite frankly, no. But if you think you look the world in a little bit different perspective and you go, hey, I'm waking up every day to help people. And my gift is I can help through people through making discoveries of these minds and create jobs. Well, a byproduct to that as well. And you can receive a lot of wealth in a lot of ways in different ways, just other than money. But I can tell you one thing, when I moved and left being in institutional sales at US Global, I was promised I was gonna make a lot of more money going to a lot of different places a lot quicker. But I didn't make that decision when I moved to Canada. I took a 50% pay cut because I wanted to do something else that I would do for myself. Uh, and that would make me happy because I saw a lot of people with a lot of money that are very lonely and very unhappy, to be frank. Okay, and how do you think your shareholders should feel about that attitude of yours? Well, I mean, I think that if you look at the results of uh, the read three thought, I mean, the results are there and they speak for themselves and um, the share price speaks for itself right now. And, and again, I think this is a, a new start, obviously a re reboot, but uh, it's a, we've got a really, really bright future. And I'm very, very excited to be you know, at the helm of this and be a part of driving this you know, greater vision and perspective that we have for the portfolio in these areas that we explore within. Fantastic. And when you're going around talking to institutions at the moment, because I, I suspect you're telling your story far and wide at the moment, what are they asking of you? What are the questions that you're being asked? I mean, listen, I think actually you, you asked very similar questions that, that I, I, I get asked. I think what a more common theme of questions is that's going to come in the future. And I think that we're going to be very, very uh, ideally focused on that is really on sustainable mining. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a big theme with, you know, Robert Friedland. I, I, I've never met Robert Friedland. And, and quite frankly, I always told myself the day that I meet, I hear Robert Friedland speak is the day that I finally meet Robert Friedland. It's kind of how I envision that. But I actually recently heard Robert Friedland speak and, and I see a lot of the same kind of thought process and patterns of Robert Friedland and my viewpoints in the world. But really in terms of a focus of this, you know, electrification of the world, I mean, listen, I just bought an electric toothbrush, another one, I take it, it's a heck of a lot more powerful than the one I bought two years ago. And, you know, everything that I touch now has suddenly become smarter than me or wants to be smarter than me because of this smartification. But you can't make anything smart without having copper. You know, I've got a 1966 Mustang. I, I've got a, I'm a, a nostalgic for old thing from the 1960s from some way. I'm a very an old soul, so to speak. I mean, you know, that had 40 pounds of copper. You know, a Tesla's got 150 pounds of copper. And, you know, if you look at, you know, the electric vehicle, that was also, and that's going to be driven by 
people believing in someone's greater vision. That's Elon Musk's vision for the electric vehicle. And you look who's going to be financing that. It's going to be the millennials on the Robinhood traders that are driving that stock to unparalleled valuations to allow him to capitalize, to raise the capital, to build the dream. And that dream is going to be relied on mining. And, and, and the reality is, is that this, the same millennials that might not like mining are going to have to realize that anything tangible that they touch from their cell phone to their car to the door handle to turn on the light switch, it was mined or it was grown out of the ground. And more likely than not, it was mined if they really, really like it because it's going to be shiny and everybody likes to let a bit you know, something metallic in their lives. They do. They do. Well, that, I mean, thank you so much, Max. That was that was that was uh, a good romp through all three projects. I know it's kind of early days, and it's been a tough twenty twenty for a lot of mining folk. Um, you know, twenty twenty one sounds like the year things kind of really should kick forward uh, in terms of bouncing these discoveries of yours. So, do pick up the phone. Let us know um, how you get on. Uh, I'd be delighted to take that phone call. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen. During the pandemic, I was uh, reading an article and things popped for me in a lot of different ways. And uh, Isaac Newton, in the middle of the pandemic, were, was where all his creations really came out of. And I sent that note off to our technical team and everybody involved and said, collectively, we are Isaac Newton during this pandemic. And uh, you know why everyone can look at the 2020, it was a year that was no good. They had the, the pandemic or the way their lives were affected. I think really it's been a tremendous opportunity, the pandemic in so many different ways, uh, and it's really allowed our, our discoveries to flourish. So listen, it's been a tough year, uh, but out of tough times comes really, really great times. Listen, as we say, the, the company had a thunderstorm. Uh, we went through a storm, Flint Fawn's thunderstorm, and uh, after the rain always comes the rainbow. That's how one of the reasons the rainbow discovery got named, and uh, I believe that and so at uh, any time, be happy to speak with you. And thanks so much for taking the time to interview me today. Appreciate it, Max. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.